right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Rebuild Podcast. I am your host, as always, Jordan Zerm. You can find me on Twitter, per usual, at Cleve Zerm. And I am really excited to bring on somebody else who uh, is an internet maven, somebody that excels at Twitter. You may know him on Twitter, at OKPants. His name is Aaron Seacrest. He is a super talented graphic designer. Um, He's done some work for Patton Oswalt, the stand-up comedian. He's done some designing of the cans for Six Shooter Coffee, a coffee company here in Cleveland, and he is getting set to open um, his very own pizza place in conjunction with a few other people, and a lot of his artwork appears inside this pizza place. Uh, It looks really, really cool, so get excited for that. But he's also a Clevelander. He's also super passionate about the Browns, uh, and he's also hilarious talking about the Browns on Twitter. So I thought, who else would be better to bring on the Rebuild podcast to talk about Seth Wickersham's ESPN article that came out last week, but I feel like the ridiculousness of it about all the circus-like activities that have gone on underneath Jimmy Haslam since he took control of the Browns, including a certain hashtag that a marketing team uh, displayed on the wall of their facility. There's just like, we can't just let this story go quietly into the night. And I brought Aaron on to talk about it. And then we also got into uh, the Browns jerseys. They can redesign them once again in 2020. And Aaron has been a proponent of um, doing a lot of radical changes to the Browns jerseys, but I think you'll enjoy his thoughts on what he would do uh, if he had a chance to design the Browns jerseys moving forward. So we get into that towards the end of our conversation. So once again, uh, thank you for tuning in. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast on, on, uh, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Those are all very small uh, but big things that can help a podcast grow. So appreciate you guys tuning in and doing all of those things. And now it is time for my conversation with Aaron Seacrest, a.k.a. OK Pants, right here on The Rebuild. All right, I am very excited to bring on my my next guest. He is, uh, some might call him an internet maven. Some may call him a, a, a graphic designer. I choose to call him both of these things. He, you can find him on Twitter, at OKPants. On a serious note, he is a very talented designer. If you ever need anything designed, logos, what have you, uh, OKPants is your man. His real name, even though it's not as quite as cool as OKPants, is Aaron Seacrest. Uh, Aaron... Thank you for joining me here so we can um, roast the Browns in the way that we were always meant to do. Thank you for having me aboard to, to record this dream episode. <laughs> I, I never thought 7, 8, and 1 is where we were going to get to, but it really does feel like cannot feel my face right now. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. It feels like we made it. Like, I don't even know if, you know, the Browns need to play any more football because I think 7, 8, and 1 is the pinnacle. And I think that it's already the greatest that it can be. No, I mean, you listen to all of these these analysts talk. This is statistically, officially, analytically, quote unquote, we're back at it status. So we're officially, <laughs> which is a higher level than arriving, you know, being back at it. So we are back at it. That's That's just... It's etched in stone, people. It is. It is. There's no you debate about that. Because you ain't back at it with <laughs> seven, eight, and one. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things that came out recently um, and what I wanted to talk to you about, because, like, look, this article, it was by ESPN Seth, uh, Seth Wickersham, which is a hell of a name, by the way, for a writer. <laughs> like, that's got to be a pen name. Um, it's very Simpson-esque. Yeah, yes. yeah, it is. Um, you know, he came out with this article, this was last week, and it's basically kind of detailing all the, all the dysfunction that has gone on with the Browns since Jimmy Haslam. I mean, it happened before Jimmy Haslam, but specifically since Jimmy Haslam has taken over the team. And like, I feel like 
we have not talked about the ridiculousness of some of the things in this article enough. Like, I think a lot of people were just like, I don't want to, I don't want to read anything negative about the Browns, but it's like you get being a Browns fan, like you have to have a sense of humor. And I read this article and loved everything about it because of how absurd some of the things that are going on are. And I feel like it kind of like it came and it went and I'm not okay. I'm not okay with that pants. Like we need to talk more about some of the things in this article that happened. And that's why you are here today. So we can do just that. Well, I'm here for you, but I will, I will couch the whole thing with, I really wish he would have fucking put this out last year or even on the heels of Hugh getting fired in the middle of the season because them sort of turning things around, so to speak, took a little of of the tooth out of out of it to me. You know, it just was like, well, we're finally kind of right in the ship. But yeah, no, he you know, it's like we all kind of were like there was very much a tone of the whole thing of like, yeah. And okay, we Browns fans knew that it was this wacky for years but when you actually see the videotape quote unquote then you're like oh okay all right we can get into the hashtag dp talk and all that stuff about it because it is it's pretty pretty fascinating yeah it definitely is and that's funny too yeah it's like we had heard these things but then once you like see it in writing you're just like oh man that's actually something i would have put in a movie but it was something that actually happened with uh with the cleveland browns and i think you're right though i mean like the timing of it i did think um yeah, it's a little, um, in terms of like just from somebody like as a writer, like thinking about when you would want this to come out. Yeah, I wonder if he just like couldn't get all the information he needed until the end of the season. Maybe more people were willing to talk about it because they're in a better place now, the Browns. But um, I think you're right. Like it was it was a weird timing with it. But um, I, I do want to start with um, it, it kind of opened the piece and it almost it's almost one of my favorite things of the piece. But that was. Um, Hugh Jackson <laughs> sitting in his office, John Dorsey and Jimmy Haslam walk in. They're like, Hey man, um, you've been a garbage coach. We have to fire you. Not only does Hugh Jackson say why, which is incredible, but then two, they tell him and he's like, all right, well then get the fuck out of my office, which to me is like, that's an incredible move to make right there to, Cause it's technically not your office anymore. Cause you just got fired, but, um, he still was like, it's the opposite. Sorry, go ahead. Hello. No, uh, no, it's, it's the opposite of you can't fire me. Cause I quit. It, it's, it's <laughs> doubling down, like, you know, slamming the door in your boss's face or something. It is. It's like, and just like the, <laughs> I don't know, like what, like that, when you say that to somebody, I feel like he was like, uh, no, this is still my office. I'm not going anywhere. So you guys told me I'm fired, but I'm definitely not fired. So I'll see you guys later. Like, it's just an amazing thing. I'm no stranger to being laid off and fired from, from office jobs. You know, um, none that I got paid millions of dollars to walk away from. But, um, I just think when the guy that's brought in that, that you can, you know, that, that very much feels like the guy that wants you axed from day one is standing next to the guy that hired you and believed in you and went to bat for you. I, I can understand probably why Hugh was like, like, is this what you want, Jimmy? Do you want me to leave? Like, that's kind of like what it felt like with that whole thing. Yeah, that's that's very true. I, I guess like, you know, Hugh probably I feel like Hugh did a lot of um, 
like trying to sort of buddy up to John Dorsey and making it sort of seem like those two were on the same page where like I feel like John Dorsey came in and was just like I I this guy weirds me out. I don't think I want to work with him and eventually it finally got to that point, but you're definitely right about like Jimmy, what have you done to me? Like I thought we were in this together. Get out of I my mean, office. If I'm Dorsey, I'm it's it's like you know, it's like if you're going over to your girl's house to to say you're breaking up with her, you're not bringing your new chick along with you. And that's kind of like the the dynamic I felt out of reading that whole exchange. But at any rate, you can't also be surprised after going, what, three and 36 in, in one that, you know, writing's on the wall. Yeah, that's that may be the underrated part of that. That's like if I was, um, you know, if I was at some job and I just like continually showed up at like 11 and the start time was like nine and like I like hadn't done any of the things that they wanted me to for years. And then the guy comes up and is like, Jordan, we have to let you go. And I'd be like, but but why? (laughs) It was going so well. But I thought Uh, I was really fitting in here with the company. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's like. And also, you're getting paid, like, it's like, dude, you're getting millions of dollars to not have to come back. Like, you could pay me, like, you pay to Uber me home from wherever and I'll freaking leave without (laughs) tirade, really. Like, uh, but, you know, you can't be surprised by it. And I think that if Dorsey really had his way, that probably would have happened before the season began. But yeah. And then, you know what, I, also Wickersham wrote that I, I felt was kind of like an odd slant to put on it was um, that Hugh was fired despite the Browns going to overtime in four of their first, what, yes. like four or five, first five or six games. And uh, I was like, yeah, and then they replaced them with a defensive coordinator uh, that, you know, they basically just said, we're going to replace this guy with literally anyone and we'll still win seven <laughs> games. So it's like a weird argument to, to make that I don't think it stood stood up very well. But I'm like, yeah, they're like like Freddie Kitchens would have probably gotten him in the playoffs if they'd have just put, plugged him in from week one. Uh, he probably would have. Like, they, yeah, you're right. They they put an actual psychopath in as the head coach in Greg Williams, and he was just like, "All right, let's let's get crazy," and they ended up winning <laughs> a bunch of games. Like, well, yeah, and, and what's credit where credits due? He did a great job. There's, for sure, there's nothing to take away from him. But all that being said, I, I don't, I don't think anybody in Cleveland really thought he was he had a chance to be the the, the head coach of this team moving forward. But it, you know. I think everybody acquitted themselves nicely when they were thrown into those interim coach and and offensive coordinator positions. They did. And the last thing about um, this Hugh thing is, yeah, like that line in there that you mentioned, the like, despite the team going to overtime in X amount of games, like that feels like, you know how, I'm sure you've experienced this in your line of work too. Like sometimes you'll just get like a promo email from somebody or like you'll have to, you'll like, I'll do an interview and it'll be for, um, like I'll have access to the person because they're like selling a product and at the bottom they're like, if you could mention that uh, here's the link to this product or here's the landing page, like it'd be much appreciated. I feel like Hugh was secretly interviewed and he was like, can you just say in this article that um, we went to overtime in three games and we were pretty close in another one? Seth was like, yeah, all right, I guess. Sure. I mean, and I guess it does make for a more compelling story. I think you try to kind of try to have to position Hugh as – you know, give give some sort of defensive argument to why he should have not been fired, I suppose. It's just there wasn't really much left after giving him two and a half seasons a chance to keep his job and you win three games. So, 
No, there was there was not left not a lot left, and I feel like it shouldn't have come as any of a surprise. We will move on to uh, another point that I thought was um, fairly hilarious. Was so this is this is a few years before um, Dorsey and Hugh. And this is actually pretty early on in um, Jimmy Haslam's tenure, where um, he had hired Joe Banner and Mike Lombardi uh, on sort of a recommendation from the league to help kind of Jimmy Haslam like find his way in those first couple of years as an owner. So it's not going great. And Jimmy decides he wants to fire Joe Banner and he does it by, uh, he invites Joe Banner to dinner. So he's like, Hey man, like been a tough week. Let's get uh, a bite to eat at a restaurant (laughs) with the gang. Uh, later Joe Banner's like, cool. Like, I love that. I love group dinners. Let's do that. Uh, Jimmy Haslam goes to meet him before the dinner and is like, let's just hang in your office for a half hour, man. Let's catch up. Like, what's been going on with you before we hit the big group? Like, you know, you know how it goes. Joe Banner's like, all right, great. They talk for like a half hour and Joe Banner's like, okay, I'm really hungry though. Like, can we go to dinner? And Jimmy Haslam is like, no, because I'm firing you. And then still leaves and goes to the dinner that was set up with like a bunch of Browns executives anyway. That to me, that's a power move right there. That was like maybe one of the ultimate Jimmy Haslam power moves. Um, that's not even like a power move. That's just like if I'm watching The Sopranos and Tony <laughs> invites someone to sit in private before they go to dinner, I go, don't go in there because you're going to get a bullet to the back of your head. Like, That's what, a great point. Every mafia move you've ever seen – if you're planning on going somewhere and they say, let's just take a second and talk real quick, you know you're getting off. So, you know, I, you know, using the real life parallels, I, you're going to get fired. Why in the world would I, have you ever gone out to eat with anybody where you take a half hour to have a conversation before you go anywhere? Girlfriends, associates, you know, work, friends, whatever. It doesn't. It's, yeah. Makes me feel better about my social dynamics that I employ uh, in in professional and personal life, I suppose. Yes, most definitely. Yeah, that's like I, I imagine like Joe Banner being like, "All right, can we can we leave my office?" And Jimmy's just like at the door, like slowly closing it. Like, not yet. I had a couple more things I wanted to catch up on. And you're just like, "What? Uh, can we please leave my office? Like, this is getting very, weird." It's very Michael Scott like, uh, <laughs> which is ironic because they did the office parody video at the beginning of the season, but that office apparently really did operate like Dunder Mifflin for like a really long time. Yeah. Like it all, it all comes uh for full circle. Um, another thing, there's so many things, but <laughs> another thing, Brown season, there's always so many other things. It's <laughs> a great way to describe every Brown season. It's like, man, there were a lot of things. Um, Jimmy Haslam didn't want to draft Teddy Bridgewater, um, who came out in the same draft as Johnny Manziel. And there is this part in Seth article about there's a group of guys in the front office that wanted to wait to the second round and grab Teddy Bridgewater. Now, Teddy went the last pick of the 2014 draft, so they probably wouldn't have gotten to select him. But Jimmy Haslam already had his mind made up because he shook. He was the last pick in the first round? Yeah, he was. Um uh, but Jimmy Haslam had his mind made up because he shook Teddy Bridgewater's hand, uh, didn't like the handshake, so he is like, we're not doing it. That one to me is, I'm sure there's like more to that story and that maybe wasn't included in the article, but I choose to believe that based off of one handshake, um, Jimmy Haslam was like, don't like his character, and was like, just done with it. I, yeah, I think, again, it's like a very Michael Scott-like reaction where like, you're trying very hard to appear to have some sort of tact or read on people. So you pick the oddest possible angle to take, which yields 
the most bizarre reaction. So you have dozens of people in place to sort of scout these people and grade these these athletes out, and then with one handshake, I just don't like the cut of this guy's jib. I just got to tell you. Yeah, like one handshake, and he's like walks back into his office and just like rips the scouting report in half, and is like, no. Like, I don't know. I don't know an ounce of what goes into the work of scouting a player, let alone like a, a high level draft prospect. But I just imagine there had to be a handful of dudes, literally just like t- sadly dragging all the files they built on <laughs> Teddy Water to the trash, you know, sighing, just defeat, you know, just defeat in their in their eyes. Um, but that was the same year that the homeless guy told him to pick Johnny Manziel, right? It uh, it was one in the same, yes. How can, how are you going to compete with a homeless dude telling you when you you know you got an entire office full of people you're paying to tell you who to pick? But no, yeah, I hung out with people in Cleveland. They and, and it's hard to it's hard to argue a lot of the logic there. <laughs> they're they're really persuading, and um, yeah, I get it. they're very convincing. But yeah, I imagine there was like some intern on the like on the scouting staff who just like really wants to get a job, like some low level job with the Brown scouting staff that just like spent 48 hours awake working on this Teddy Bridgewater report. And then he finds out that because of his handshake, like all his work is just in the trash. And I, I wonder where that guy is now. And I feel for that guy. Yeah. I mean that, and that was, that kind of transitions into like the, 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 since the 99, like the quote unquote new Browns I've found, so many parallels to my own career in and in, in having jobs in just bad work cultures and you know working with people that weren't qualified to tell you how to do your job and stuff and, and that was you know that was the one where I was like if I've ever related more to a scouting department after spending days and weeks putting together you know design pitches <laughs> only to have you know an exact walk in the room halfway through my pitch and just go just go I don't like that color blue and then just leave and that's and just it. like some entire pit, you know, entire pitch. It's just the same type of, there's just a lot of things I've learned how not to do by watching the Browns and following them for as long as I have. Yeah. And what's so crazy to me too is like, so it's been seven years since Jimmy Haslam acquired the team. And you would just think that maybe by like year four or five, there would have been some business lessons within NFL ownership that he would have taken and like applied to like what he was doing. But it just seems like over and over again, like the part that was so fascinating is like he would talk to everybody in the building and like whoever spoke to him last, like had the best chance of changing your mind. It's like a person that has one conversation with somebody and is just like, oh, you know what? That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. You're right. Despite everything I just learned in my five years before this conversation, like that's exactly what it is. And it's crazy. Yeah. I think also like if you're like a billionaire and you buy this business and it doesn't really you know, you buy this team and it doesn't really have any effect on your bottom line, like your wealth. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of these men and women own these teams because they're like yachts or like anything like a fancy estate where it's just you own it because only so many people can own them. So, you know, it's it's kind of like you're making consequence free decisions within these these the the context of these teams that they have no bearing on your life. You know, he's 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 drafted how many quarterbacks before we got to baker mayfield yeah 
it doesn't affect his bank account one cent. You know, it's 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 just sort of like playing real life fantasy football, but you own one of thirty two teams in the world that that only there's thirty two people that own these teams. So, you know, he was bound to strike gold after thirty whacks at it with with quarterbacks and coaches, I suppose. But yeah, it's not like you know if I make a wrong move. Um, Hey, you got to move in with your parents next month because uh, right. you just, you know, it's like it just, it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy world. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think that is actually what should happen to NFL owners or GMs that make like really poor decisions that cost people their jobs. Like they should have to then move into their back in with their parents for like uh, at least six months. I think that should just be the consequence. By the way, that would be the greatest Adam Sandler movie ever made. If, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's I, I believe that, that Jimmy Haslam's a competitive guy. I believe that he doesn't like continually having these decisions blow up in his face, you know. I, but at the same time, in the like, same with Hugh, when you go home at night and you know that your grandkids, grandkids, college money is stashed aside, how bad can it really weigh on you? You know, like these these are wealthy, wealthy people. Yeah, no, I think you're 100% right. And I also. Another one is, I'm not trying to go to class war sports conspiracy <laughs> guy, but like, you know, it's. I, I've just seen how many dudes this hire, this guy's hired and fired to just. You get to the point where you're like, well, just wake me up when they're seven, eight, and one again, and we'll. I'll. I'll you know, invest myself in this thing again. Yeah, no, I mean, the stakes are not the same for somebody that has that amount of wealth and is already sort of, you know, will always have that amount of wealth. Um, yeah, then somebody whose, like, livelihood depends on their job, and if they're fired, they have to figure things out rather rapidly. Um, I do think... Here's, that- here's what I would love to have happen before I forget this thought, is we got to have the team behind the fire documentary for Netflix do just the Browns documentary. Find a way to shoehorn Ja Rule in there. Uh, uh, shout out to Ms. Mollis, the last Ja Rule fan left on Twitter. Um, <laughs> got to get Ja Rule there. Got to get got to get the dude that that went and got all the the, the water for for Absolutely have to put that dude in there. Somehow shoehorn him into the Browns organization because Lord only knows there's been a couple of those guys in the history of the new Browns that probably has been, you know, found themselves in similar situations. Oh, but there's been it, some phone calls made. Between Fire Fest, yeah, the Fire Festival. The Browns were the Fire Festival of sports for for many a years. <laughs> the Brown—that's the perfect metaphor. The Browns have been the Fire Festival of sports for a really, really long time. You show up thinking it's going to be a luxury tent finally and all you get is a refugee camp and it's like what are you going to do man you know it happens well i mean well like the fire festival plenty of people end up drunk just but no matter how terrible the sundays go it's you know at least people get drunk at the end of the, all of it but um <laughs> That's yeah it. i just kept watching that documentary and then i read that i think the wickersham story came out around that time i saw the the week i saw that documentary i go who else is not seeing the 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 Venn diagram of these two things overlap perfectly. Yeah, that's uh, the parallels are there. Like you know, so many pe- despite so many people trying to be like, hey, um, Firefest, here's a picture of where it is. It's on just a, a construction site. It's uh, none of this. Is, <laughs> none of this is real. And you're right. Like a bunch of people were still like, nah, I think I'm still gonna get on the flight and go. Like that's what Browns games have been. <laughs> like despite here's the evidence of how bad they're gonna be and how dysfunctional everything is. People are like, well, I still would like to go to the Muni lot and then um, go to the game. So I'm gonna do that. 
They're like, you're telling me I can get up at 6 a.m. and be drinking warm beer <laughs> right on the 20-degree the cold lake by 7 a.m. and then watch four hours of truly terrible football and then probably get into one to three fist fights on my way out of the stadium. How much again? Here, 200 Here's $350. Yeah, here's more than what the price is. I just want to give you more because that sounds like the best hey, thing. Hey, can you promise me my girlfriend will dump me by halftime too? Okay, yes. Sign me up. Oh my god. Alright, let's take a brief break from the conversation to talk about one of the rebuild sponsors. That's my pillow. Like the rest of us, you probably made a New Year's resolution. If you're planning to eat better, exercise more, be more patient, kinder, or whatever it is, it all starts with a good night's rest. So go to mypillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and enter my promo code COZY, and you'll get two premium my pillows and two go anywhere pillows. It's amazing what a difference a great pillow makes. So if you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on their four-pack, shipping is absolutely free. That's right, there is no shipping cost for you. And don't forget about their 60-day money-back guarantee. There's nothing better than the gift of restorative sleep. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and use my code COZY to get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That is MyPillow.com, or you can call 1-800-966-1472. And remember, my promo code can be used for any offer on mypillow.com. Once again, that's promo code COZY. I think that transitions beautifully into the the final <laughs> and, and most absurd part of um, of the article, which was, I think as now it's just going to be infamously known as hashtag DP. I, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at this and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of questions that immediately come to mind. But I want to, uh, Pants, I want to start here. I need to know who the person on the marketing team was that was like, I want to see what people are saying about the dog pound on Twitter. And definitely everybody, when they talk about the dog pound, clearly hashtags it DP. Like, I want to start there because I need to understand this line of thinking that most definitely fans are, one, using hashtags and all their tweets about the Browns, but then two referring to the dog pound as hashtag DP. Let's just, let's unpack that. Yeah. Like number one, the dog pound is clearly spelled D a W G P O U N D. It's, it's, it's not even spelled like the normal word dog. Okay. (laughs) So this is clearly not a person that's from Cleveland or a fan of football at all. This is like a design oriented person that overthought this 22 steps immediately and then apparently has never watched adult content a day or been on the internet apparently a day in their life because we went I, – I spent a good hour trying to think of funnier hashtags to replace the dog pound with. And all I came up got with, was, with, with was welcome to the brown hole. Like that was the only <laughs> thing I got. Close to. You couldn't – you know, I spent a good amount of time of, that I could be like working or making money and I really tried very hard to come up with something better than DP and I couldn't. You know, I just – it's a masterpiece of, 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 of a comic masterpiece, and I can only imagine the sight of, of how big is that that marketing room? Yeah. Do you know, mm-hmm. like it's is I... it like one of those super teched out, like super white, you know, uh, war room looking places with like the big whiteboards and stuff. Yeah, I think like what I sort of imagine because I've seen you know they like redid all the offices in Berea a few years ago and. Um, so like they're yeah big white walls everywhere and I imagine like just like people kind of in their cubicles like on a on this one floor and like I I would love to know you know who first looked up 
at the wall. Because, you know, I imagine not all these guys are paying attention because this is probably just like we're just going to put all our mentions and all the people tweeting about the Browns like on the wall. So you can just kind of glance at it, see how people are interacting with the team on social media. So, you know, I feel like it was maybe it had been up for a little while. And then all of a sudden that that person was like, oh, uh, today's the day we see what people are saying about the dog pound. So let me just put in hashtag DP. I would love to know the first person that saw it. Um and, and uh, like their initial reaction that day. Hopefully, someone that was caffeinated before uh, <laughs> that didn't have any fluids in their mouth when that happened. Because I would have spit coffee into the next freaking cubicle or whatever. Uh, what a what a glorious sight! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a great day of work. You know, like especially if it happened early. Like... I, was, I like honestly, I don't miss working for anybody a day in my life. But if I could have been in that room just on that day, I don't. I would have been. I would have fucking gladly been the janitor cleaning bathrooms just to sit in that room to watch people's heads just fall into their hands or people just run out of the room just to see fucking. Brazzers mania going wild in Berea. <laughs> I would have put my coffee down and taken a minute and just said thank you. You know, like I just would have looked up to the heavens if I was working in that in that office that day and said thank you for this gift. That is why well, I, I have my own in this sort of real brief story, but um, I've had my own ex- triumphs in in regards to live tweet casting, and it happened from the comfort of my own bed. There was a local ad awards show last year. So I was just scrolling through Twitter and one of my friends said, really happy to be here at the hashtag Addies. So then I just, you know, I work basically adjacent to that world. And so I made a joke tweet. I go, oh, here's my my invitation must have gotten lost in the mail. Hashtag Addies. I get a text 30 seconds later going, your tweet just appeared on stage at this ad awards show. (laughs) So I go, my eyes turned into size of saucers. I was like in my underwear. I run down to my living room where on my mantle I have a martial arts trophy I won 20 years ago. So then I just take a picture of myself shirtless holding my trophy going, <laughs> that's okay, I don't need your awards. Hashtag Addies. Tweet. I get like two or three more texts from my friends who are there and they go, dude, you just appeared on stage with no shirt on. And I go, this is the greatest day of my entire life. <laughs> so like, you know, I, I didn't. I, I kept it tasteful, but I definitely bombed the the tweet cast because I was like, they don't have anybody moderating this. There's. It was like the. It was a hashtag DP incident without any porn being cast on it. But after about six or seven more tweets, I felt like I got my my point across, and I kept like just just like blasting okpants.com across the stage of this local ad awards show that is um that is a phenomenal story i i imagine like i just uh, i'm just picturing like a news story that night being like the addies were canceled early because uh user okay pants kept showing up uh shirtless with a trophy he hacked into the uh the hashtag and was all uh all across the stage so they just had to cancel the event <laughs> like it's just that was it they couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, I mean- we understand tacitly that Twitter is inherently a pretty nerdy thing, but it was probably my proudest moment on that platform, existing in that platform. Yeah. But yeah, it wasn't as cool as the the hashtag DP incident, but I'm just saying I, I align closely with these kind of gaffes. But um, yeah, I couldn't think of anything better. Like no hashtags that would literally demonstrate I watch clearly too much porn that would have been better <laughs> than hashtag DP. So yeah. Uh, that was, but that was. I thought the the funniest and wackiest part of that story was it was Jimmy letting his friends and family in the war room on draft day. 
the most important day of the year for a football franchise. Just come on down, come come into this room and watch them like you'd watch people making your sandwiches at Subway. But these are millionaires getting paid a lot of money to determine the future of a billion dollar franchise. Yeah, like like it was like a Christmas party gathering, just like at friends and family. You get to an open house. You guys can come in and out. It'll be from six yeah. to ten. Yeah, like I picture like his nephews there, like, "Hey, Billy, who do you think we should pick at 14? Huh? <laughs> what, what do you say? Nah, Ray, shut up, Ray. We're gonna, we're gonna draft who Billy wants. Yeah, and that's just like the vibe it very much had. Yeah, for sure. Like Billy, why don't you write down the name of who you want to draft, slide it to Ray, and Ray, I'm a hundred percent serious. You will draft this person, and Ray's just like sweating and like just miserable and just like it actually (laughs) this story made me feel somewhat bad for ray farmer a person i sort of loathed because i thought he was terrible at his job but then like i read this and was just like oh my god man i'm so sorry yeah you kind of kind of feel bad for a guy who's terrible at a job he didn't even interview or want (laughs) in the first place (laughs) was just given yeah (laughs) like Uh, what are you gonna say because well ray you're the GM of the Cleveland Browns. Like you don't say no thanks. Like right. you just, oh, okay. Like, I didn't even know this was something I was supposed to want, but all right. Like, sir, did, do you know what I do right now? Like I'm I'm the janitor. And it's like I don't nope. <laughs> you're the <laughs> you're the GM now, sir. I see something in your eyes, Ray. I see it. <laughs> you got it. Oh my goodness. Uh, but I don't even let like like my war room is literally just a desk with like three monitors on it that I sit in my underwear and draw like hot dogs with arms and legs on them. Mm-hmm. I won't even let anybody sit in my war room. And like, I don't, you know, like the Browns probably spent more on catering for draft day than they do that I make in a year. And I'm not letting anybody in my war room. It's, um, it's wild. And that it's such like a, I don't even know if arrogant is the right word, but it's just such like a, that the sort of like out of touch thing that somebody, some, you know, this billionaire owner would do just like, yeah, I'm going to have everybody can come in and it won't affect or distract anybody in this room at all. And you just imagine like all the employees be like, come on, like, dude, like what? Just look around. Like, is this the atmosphere you want to have in here? And I don't think it's a coincidence that that is probably the most, um, devastating draft the Browns have had <laughs> in maybe uh, their entire history was that exact draft. In a, in a, in a, in basically they have, all their drafts have been trash since, you know, 99. And that was the worst. That was, I think that was bar none the worst. I agree. Uh, like, I don't like, can you imagine John Dorsey just being cool with Jimmy, like just beelining a bunch of like people he's never seen before into a, a war room? You know, it's a culmination of, you know, that dude probably spending 10 to 12 months of his life, you know getting two hours of sleep a night building this freaking you know all these plans and all these contingency plans and then there's just who the fuck are these people (laughs) like what what are we doing yeah and um i think that's one of the john dorsey's i think aside from you know he's seems to be good at uh evaluating talent and seems to be um good at sort of building a team but i think also he has told jimmy to like look man I've been doing this a long time. Uh, I know what I'm doing and I'm really going to need you to take a step back and like, let me run these things. And I think like for the first time, at least for the time being, it seems like Jimmy Haslam has like for once, like put his hands up and been like, all right, like all you do your thing. We're not going to have a hundred people in the draft room. We're not going to do this and that. Like if there's a, a, an underrated quality of this John Dorsey hire, I feel like it very much is John Dorsey being like, don't you dare do any of this stuff anymore. Cause like, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to work under those conditions. I'm sure. Well, I mean, here's the thing. 
where do you go if you fire Sashi Brown and you don't have this guy in place? You know, I think Jimmy realized he was at the end of his rope in trying to find legitimate football people or legitimate professionals to make these decisions. So, it, it you know, Jimmy's honestly so close to this team gets in the playoffs next year, regardless of what happens. And a lot of this stuff just goes so far into like history that we don't discuss. You know, it, it, it may as well have happened in the 40s with – if they can just string together a fucking season of winning football, none of this matters. Forget about the Super Bowl. That's just a winning season. And and it just makes Jimmy look like so much more of a credible owner. Whether you agree with it or not or whether you think he deserves to be perceived that way, it's just the reality of it is he begins to become an actual owner in the NFL that, that's looked at in a different light. Yeah, no, you're you're very right. Like I feel like I he and I think he knows that. I think he knows that like some semblance of a winning season, which like I feel like he feels and a lot of fans feel was, you know, the second half of this season is um was a was a success and now you're in a position to really like really put together a really good team. And yeah, all of your past mistakes, all of your hashtags, all of your uh, dinner parties, all of these things will be forgotten and not talked about anymore. Although hashtag DP might always be talked about, but um, yeah, all that stuff will just sort of sort of fade away. And I, I guess that sort of brings me to the last thing I wanted to talk to you about because you know we we mentioned that the you know the Browns are in a in a better place and and um, things are really starting to turn around and we could experience a uh, successful and fun fun Brown season not only like for one year but for multiple years. But a thing that sort of keeps dragging them down, along with all the other things that have, have been um, the redesign of their uniforms, which happened a few years ago, um, and have sort of yes. were just a complete disaster. I, I am um, still remain confused as to what the people at Nike were attempting to do with the the redesign. But they have already sort of hinted that um, it's not this coming season. I believe it's the season after. So I think 2020 they can. Yeah, is it 2020? Yeah, that's the first year they're eligible to redesign again. So that is um, that's going to be here before we know it. And uh, so you know, pants obviously yourself as um, a graphic designer and somebody you've been vocal about this on Twitter as well that you you would just totally rebrand the name, the jerseys, all of that stuff. But if you could, if you were at Nike and like the Browns contingent came back and was like, we're going to give you guys another shot. <laughs> uh, uh, because uh, things didn't go super well last time what is your in a nutshell like what would you do or what is your pitch to to jimmy Haslam, to john dorsey to the people working on the marketing side of like what would you do with those unis if you could just design them the way you wanted well you know first off they were so the browns were so bad on the heels of that 0-16 season, I publicly campaigned just to rename and rebrand the whole team, blow the whole thing up. Because yes. I really felt there was nothing you could do at that point than wash the stink of this franchise off with new brand, new uniforms, new everything. But in in, in somehow, through the grace of John Dorsey, they, 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 they appear to turn things around. So the reality is they will always be the Cleveland Browns, and, and, and there's really – that's the world we live in. So if I, I I do firmly believe you've already seen the updated Browns uniforms for 2020. You saw them three times this season. If I had to look into a crystal ball, I gotta believe they're probably in 2020 
just going to switch over to those color rush uniforms that we, I think we won two of the three games we wore them in. Yeah. Like the darker brown with just no white on the uniforms, just orange stripes and numbers. There's really nothing else you can do from a design standpoint with this team, you know, um, this team so steeped in simplicity and tradition and you're not putting anything on the helmets as much as I would love to do that. So if, if I went to, if I was at Nike and I had a meeting with, you know, John Dorsey and, and Jimmy and whoever was in marketing, I would say, um, here's your color rush uniforms, all Brown. Here's your color rush uniforms, all white with orange, orange, you know, lead num- numbers and, and, and stripes, no Brown. And here's your all orange with just brown, no white. And the helmets stay the helmets. Um, but that to me made the most sense. It, it, it's as close to a uniform the Browns have worn that I would actually buy a jersey of. So in, in my estimation, that that is what you would do. Give, being given like you know 30 seconds to answer this. this <laughs> yes, this is a larger conversation. But right, in, in, in discussing design over over the airwaves, obviously you lose a lot. And it's it's almost boring to talk about, but you know, had the Browns re- revealed those uniforms back in 2015, and they went 10 and six, or they were you know perennial winners in it, we would not be complaining about this, and it would you know we would live with it. But winning and losing definitely begins to weigh on the look of these things, as weird and superstitious as that sounds. Uh, but I would those color rush uniforms, honest to God, I, I think look look sharp. They're a way to sort of reel it back to what the old uniforms look like with, you know, sort of stepping it forward in time a little bit. Now, if you gave me a $2 million budget and said, hey, we'll give you six months to come up with a bunch of comps, then I would fucking be more than happy to show you some things. But I really do believe they probably paid attention to what people, what the reaction was to those color rushes. And that's what you're going to see in, in 2020. Yeah, I. Uh, that's a really interesting point. I think you're you're probably right. I also think the potential of the the all white color rush uh, would look pretty smooth too. I just was like picturing it in my mind as you were talking about it, and uh, I think that would look really good as well. And I just wish um, the Browns would stop being cowards and wear all orange in, with any uniform. They just won't do it. They refuse to do it, and it upsets me. And I hope that changes uh, in 2020. I totally agree with you, man. I, I mean. You, when you're just a simple team and you're known for the visual simplicity, just take that sec- that third color off the uniforms and have it be orange and brown or white and orange or you know brown and orange, and, and off you go. And if you win games, then people will buy more jerseys. It's it's not rocket science. But what what my my last addendum to all that is is you know the the uniforms are are terrible not through fault of Nike, you know, Nike can only do so much. It's the people in Berea that sign off on what the uniforms look like. So I'm, I'm always reticent to ever critique designs publicly, especially because you don't know what went on, you know, how many people were in the room to make decisions that were qualified to do so or not. And it's just not, it's a very stupid thing to try to armchair quarterback. It's fun to talk about on Twitter. I totally understand why people do it, but this is like the one thing I guess I'm qualified to do sports talk about. And it's whenever new jerseys, uniforms are rolled out, I kind of just take my, my finger off the mouse and I kind of just take a look at it and chat quietly amongst my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good point. There were probably multiple mock-ups that they presented the Browns with, and you don't know who chose the one they ended up with or if they requested certain things be put on, uh, certain design elements I, really put on and all of that. Like, 
we, we know Nike loves being progressive and we know they love to push the envelope from a design standpoint. So my guess is, you know, when you see like Browns up and down the pant legs and you see Cleveland across the chest, that was basically Nike saying, if you're not going to let us touch these helmets, these are the compromises we're looking for you to make so we can have some fun with these things. Yeah. That's, that's with me just guessing, you know, I don't, I don't know. And I don't even, I won't even say whether or not what I think of those uniforms, because like I said, you just don't know the string of decisions that go that lead to that final product looking like it looks. Yep. No, that's uh that's very fair. Um, and uh, we will, I, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to see what 2020 brings in terms of the uniforms. And hopefully by that point, they're a really, really good football team. And it will be, um, it will be more than just sort of a, arbitrary unveiling of new uniforms it'll kind of be a celebration of you know where they where they came from <laughs> from when they were wearing the jerseys that they are now to uh, yeah i'm excited i'm excited to see to see the update and i also think that you know any any sports organization if you're if your team's in the shitter and you're not looking at going to playoffs anytime soon a real quick fix to get people excited change the uniforms up they just better not suck, you know. It's, yes. it's kind of, it's kind of the. It's a pretty black and white world you can live in with that. Yeah, that is for sure. Well, uh, Aaron, man, appreciate you very much for joining me uh, to uh, to chat all things uh, ridiculousness and uniforms and everything Browns. And uh, once again, you can follow Aaron uh, on Twitter at OKPants. He's a uh, wonderful follow. Um, he is now, I liked your tweet today about um, you're going to become the first billionaire, maybe outside of Oprah, that people like. And I'm really, uh, I'm with you on your journey to that <laughs> status and I support you in, in, all, uh, in all of it. So you need anything from me to get you to that likable billionaire status you just let me know you just keep having me on the podcast buddy and i'll have you on the yacht anytime you want when, <laughs> I, when i when i catch those extra commas man you're 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 gonna be right up there with me you can wear the captain's hat i appreciate that that's really all that i've ever wanted in life so thank you um <laughs> <laughs> all right again aaron at okay pants on twitter uh thanks for uh, hopping on the rebuild anytime my friend thanks for having me <laughs>